What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Today is Tuesday, November 29th, 2022, and we are reviewing the all 22 of the Dolphins' 30-15 to victory over the Houston Texans to push the Dolphins to 8-3. and I checked out the tape, and here's what I saw. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Your team every day here on the Locked on Network. If you're unfamiliar with Locked on Dolphins, welcome to the party. We uh, we do all 22 reviews on Tuesdays during the regular season, and that is what we are going to do here today. Lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. I'm the co-founder of the DraftNetwork.com. And... Uh, the first half was a lot of fun uh, to watch the tape of the Dolphins' 32-0 start. Uh, of course, that game finished 15-0 Texans in the second half, but it's one of those ones I, I guess, careful what you wish for, right? Because it, it played out exactly minus the Teron Armstead injury, which is going to be top of mind for us to talk about here today on the show. Um, kind of exactly how you hoped that it would and, and what you asked for and getting some young guys some reps in, and we saw significant snaps for um, Skylar Thompson in the second half of the game. We saw significant snaps for Miles Gaskin played 26. Haven't seen him all season long, it seemed like. River Craycraft, 25, productive game, and, and he was productive with the ones in, in Tua below anyway. So uh, both sides of the ball, I, I think, got some young players more snaps than they probably would have if the game went a different way. I had shout out Verone McKinley and on the defensive side of the ball, obviously had the interception, but uh, we'll get there. Let's start with the offensive line, because I know that's the thing on everybody's mind is the pass protection really broke down there at the end of the first half, beginning of the second half with Tua Tungvaloa in and him taking some sacks and, uh, that co coincided with, with Teron Armstead leaving this game with a, a pec strain. It's been reported as a grade two pec strain. So uh, how that narrows your field. Uh, Mike McDaniel was pretty emphatic that he will play again this season. Um, that's usually a couple weeks. And now it's the worst possible timing. And I can't understate this enough. Uh, you're going to severely and dearly miss Teron Armstead when he's not out on the field. Uh, he's just a top paid offensive tackle for a reason. And he's a multi pro bowl left tackle for a reason. So the Dolphins are going to miss him. They they absolutely are. Um, but I do think in reviewing the tape, your, your menu's not going to be as full as ways that you go about conducting your business offensively, but I don't necessarily know that's a, that's a bad thing because you played a, a Houston team who's renowned for playing a lot of Tampa 2 with Lovey Smith. And Tampa 2 is you have two high safeties and then your Mike linebacker carries the seam up the middle of the field and he's responsible for a lot of depth. So I, I took that into consideration coming into the film study and, and remember seeing what I saw in real time at the stadium and then thinking about the comments of Tua Tungvaloa and, and Mike McDaniel and them saying, you know, with us having some backup guys in there, we, we didn't necessarily put them in a lot of positions to be successful. And what I saw was this, uh, this was the most aggressive, vertical, offensive game plan the Dolphins have conducted all year. 
definitively. Three-plus receivers, 30-plus yards downfield, double posts with a deep crosser. A lot of stuff that took a long time to develop. I don't think it's a coincidence that, uh, in my mind, the best play that they had dialed up after Tron Armstead left in a third-down situation was a third and 13 or third and 15 tunnel screen to Jalen Waddle that was a quick hitter on the perimeter that nearly got him the first down. They came up a yard short. If the game was competitive, they would have gone for the fourth down at midfield. Instead, Houston kind of got to a point in the game where they said, well, we're down. We're going we're gonna to throw stuff at you. We're going to attack you. And we're going to hope that our guys on the back end can hold up. But the Dolphins ran a lot of 20-plus yard downfield developing routes. And without Teron Armstead, you saw Robert Jones's play immediately regressed, right? You had Brandon Shell playing out of position. I don't think it's a coincidence that once Austin Jackson got hurt, the Dolphins ran to the right side and put Brandon Shell back at right tackle, and they popped a big run with Miles Gaskin for a big game, uh, which I believe was the long rush for the game for the Dolphins. So... Playing against San Francisco this upcoming week and the corresponding week after that, playing the Chargers, uh, it's not Tampa 2. You're not playing Tampa 2. I think you can get more into your rhythm passing game to try to mitigate the absence of Teron Armstead. You won't successfully completely diminish his absence. Because that would mean Teron Armstead's a replacement-level player. We all know that to not be true. But as I'm watching this game, and even before the Teron Armstead injury, they were very aggressive and very vertical in running those guys out of there. And they'd usually have a late-developing cross that would come across the middle, or uh, the two outside speed guys would, would press vertically, and then they would have a read on their, their vertical stem where they're getting the 20 yards and they're reading, can I get over top of them or am I going to gear down and they're going to just sit down in the zone with them playing so soft over top of us. So hearing Coach McDaniel and, and Tua Tungvaloa's comments certainly helped coming into the study to identify why the protection became so chaotic. Uh, as far as the rest of the line, and I wanted to touch on that right off the jump because it's it's the thing on everybody's mind. Because we don't know how long we're going to be without Teron Armstead. But it looked ugly as soon as he got in. Well, yeah, I don't think you're going to call the same style of game without Teron Armstead. There's going to be more of the quick hitting stuff. There's going to be more of the rhythm stuff. There's going to be more um, five here and some yak, eight here and some yak as compared to we're going to run three guys full sprint down the field and have one of them coming underneath of that vertical lift um, as a late developing play. Austin Jackson was back and Austin Jackson played 70 snaps. Um, when the Dolphins had their best, their starting five for this game on the field, however, um, I don't know if I would say that that Austin Jackson was amongst the best five, whether it was rust, whether it was a continued exacerbation of previously known issues with Austin. Um, pretty over-eager, overset a couple times. Uh, Jerry Hughes tagged him several times with, with uh, speed counters, inside counter. 
Um, I don't think I don't think Brandon Shell played to the floor of what Austin Jackson showed on Sunday against the Texans in any of the games that he started and finished at right tackle. Now, there's pros and cons to both players, right? You understand Austin's a much more dynamic athlete. But I think Brandon Shell's floor is higher as a player while the ceiling is higher for Austin. Footwork, hand timing, hand placement, oversetting. These were all issues that popped up throughout the course of, of Austin's 70 snaps that he played. And um, I got about through the first half and I was like, man, I don't know that Austin... Like, if you put Brandon Shell out there instead of Austin for the first half at right tackle, it might have been a better combo of five. And I don't know if that's rust or what, but that's something that, well, obviously, he re-injured the ankle. Uh, at the end of the game, he missed six snaps in that contest. That we saw uh, Greg Little come in and play the final six snaps offensively of the game for Miami. So, um. I hear the news of Austin Jackson's absence, and I say, ooh, that's going to hurt what you do. But I reflect on what we've seen from Austin Jackson in the regular season at this point, and I reflect on if you put Brandon Shell in that spot at right tackle instead of Austin Jackson, are you any worse for what you do offensively? And I don't think the answer is yes. So we'll have to figure out the left tackle thing. But whether it's Austin Jackson, whether it's Greg Little, whether it's somebody else, but I think you will not see any reduced play on the right side of the offensive line with Austin out. And obviously you'd expect that to some degree because the Dolphins have played the entire season to this point without Austin Jackson being available to play at the right tackle spot. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car that you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. You can browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget, book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even trust drive that new EV you've had your eyes on. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. The other observation I had for this game offensively for the Dolphins was I do think the absence of Raheem Mostert hurt the team's ability to run clock in the second half. Um, and not for the sense that Jeff Wilson played 46 snaps and was relatively speaking fine as a player. He averaged three yards per carry, though there wasn't a lot of room for to run. Uh, I thought the interior guys, Malik Collins and, and Michael Dwumfor for for Houston, really gave Robert Jones some fits at times. I, I did not think this was one of his best performances by any stretch. Um, you kind of had moving parts at tackle all throughout the game that I think led to some communication and assignment breakdowns, which is kind of discouraging coming out of the bye. But, you know, Tua to Tungvaloa talked after the game um, about having the momentum that they had and then having that interrupted by the bye can, can almost be bittersweet and, and, you know, you got to get your rhythm back under you. And I think they'll have a chance to do that this week, getting back into the swing of things. Um, but Houston, they threw a lot of bodies in the box. 
And it didn't seem like the Dolphins had any interest in having a player or, or, or having an, a lot of concepts. They came out in the second half to start with two runs that hit the perimeter. Um, the second one was kind of like a misdirection toss to Gaskin to the left side. And uh, you had Brandon Shell in there, and he gave up early upfield penetration. And Trent Sherfield and Brandon Shell are both blocking the defensive end. And the linebacker that's stacked up in the play side, BGAT, comes screaming through there, and nobody touches him because the penetration well, kind of interrupted the timing of the play, and it was a, a loss. And then Tua had to, uh, on third down, step and slide in the pocket away from penetration off his left-hand side to, to throw a completion to move the, the chains, which he eventually did before they moved past midfield and then had to punt. Um, but I think if you had Raheem, it, it could have... You were unbalanced in the run game, not because of numbers in the box, but because of how Houston chose to stack the box and you didn't have your speed runner to the perimeter to come out and take advantage of all of those numbers congested inside. So this is a nice reflection and reminder for me about the balance of what the Dolphins do offensively. I mean, at the end of the day, they dropped back to pass 51 times in this contest. And obviously two or threw the ball all over the field in the first half. And, I thought he was largely sharp. Uh, I thought he was largely crisp. I think he'd probably like to have the throwback to Tyreek Hill down in the red zone uh, that he left a little bit outside. Um, there were a couple other throws for Tua that um, oh, just the rhythm was like a half step off. That That's the kind of stuff, too, when he gets out of the game and he says, you know, we, we still got a lot to work on. We still got a lot to clean up. You're, you're chasing perfection. You you want to not have those plays where your guy has to gear down and maybe no can't take it in stride or you miss him a half tick long. But he also had a couple of throws, including one to Cedric Wilson down in the red zone on the opening possession of the game. That was unbelievably tight window throw. I don't know what Cedric Wilson saw because he ducked. The ball came right over top of his head and he ducked. Um, and Tua just laced it in the perfect spot. Uh, they ran like double, double post in breaking routes, and in the red zone, it's tough. Um, your your timing's really got to be on point. I think it was not for certain stretches of the game, and they left points out there offensively. They left points out there defensively too. The last observation that I would have offensively comes back to uh, actually the field. Uh, I thought the field looked like it was in pretty rough shape. There were a lot of tough footing situations, and the possession to close the half on the play before Tua took the sack and then had the clock to kick the field goal to make it 30 to nothing. They tried running double post again in the red zone. At about I think it was like the 11-yard line after the face mask that Tua took on a play in which he was, was uh, wrestled down to the ground. And Jalen Waddell lost his footing on the goal line. And I'm here to tell you right now, if Jalen Waddell didn't lose his footing, he catches that ball, and it's a touchdown. So little things like that. I, I you can't really control the uh, the playing surface being kind of slick. Uh, you could see chunks of it getting ripped up, and guys are trying to stick their foot in the ground, and it's just one of those one of those elements of, of playing that uh, unfortunately I think had a negative impact on some plays for the Dolphins that that could have otherwise been bigger plays. 
but it is what it is. Uh, from a special teams perspective, there wasn't too many takeaways here. I'll give credit to um, the Dolphins punt return team. They got after the Gunners in Houston. Like there was the, I think it was the first punt that Cedric Wilson returned. He got up the the near sideline. Houston must have punted this ball at like the 38. And Cedric Wilson caught the punt and was eight yards upfield from where he caught the punt running back the other way. And the two guys who were doubling the gunner to that side, the return side, I think it was it was either Crossin or Bethel and Eric Rowe. And the gunner to that side had only gotten like three yards downfield from the original line of scrimmage. Like they wiped that dude off the face of the planet. Really, really fun to see them get after it. Now, in the punt punt game, uh, I thought the little too un, out of control coming down to defend the returns. And you saw Houston on a number of occasions kind of make the first and second guy miss and then kind of squirt through and, and get up the sideline. And, and so hidden yardage like that, uh, we'll have to be mindful of in, in additional games moving forward. But there wasn't a lot uh, of notes to be taken for the, the special teams game, even though Miami did punt, I think, six times with, with Thomas Morstead. Um, but he hit the ball well. I thought Jason Sanders hit the ball well. Obviously, he was six for six on kicks on Sunday. Uh, would love to see the, the field goals whittle down, especially when you kick two in close proximity. Um, but it is what it is. How about defensively? I think the biggest observation that I had defensively in this game was the Dolphins once again made some efforts to move Javon Holland around. In this game, they tried it a few weeks back and it didn't go great. And then what you ended up seeing was the following week, Javon was pretty reserved to stay high in the box. So they tried to do this week. I'm just looking at the snap count summary. Uh, week eight against Detroit. Javon took more snaps in the slot and more snaps in the box than he actually took at free safety. And he probably played his worst game of the season. So the following week, they came back and Javon played free safety, 65 snaps, and then took three in the box and three in the slot against Chicago. Against Houston, 41 snaps at free safety, nine snaps in the box, two, or two snaps at outside corner, and eight snaps in the slot as the nickel defender. And I thought Javon's presence really showed. And, and the ways that they got there, they, they took too high shell, and then they would rotate down uh, and, and have him pushing late, and they, they would have Eric Rowe take the high safety role. Uh, they would get into some middle-of-the-field closed alignments and have Javon naturally line up in those spots and play shallow zone. And Javon had a pick six in this game if Christian Wilkins did not bat the ball down at the line of scrimmage. Um, Holland, he's sitting in the slot. I guess technically he was, he was in the box. He, he was kind of like your, your third linebacker type. And the tight end runs a slant. They run, the, the, um, the Texans run double slant. 
And Kyle Allen takes the snap and looks to his right, which is the side that Javon Holland is, is the inside zone defender playing effectively hook curl. And the slant for the tight end, Allen is expecting, he, he looks right through it to the slant that's the second slant, the outside slant. And he's expecting when the tight end runs that slant pattern that Holland is going to compress into the middle of the field and just ride that just in case that is where Allen decides he wants to go with the ball. But Allen's looking through that to the outside receiver the entire time. So Holland doesn't move. He doesn't give ground. And he, as the tight end clears his face and Allen's eyes are still outside, he immediately triggers. And he pushes with width to take an angle to cut off that throw. And if the ball was not tipped, Holland has a moonwalk into the end zone touchdown. Moonwalk into the end zone. Cater Kohu, almost interception. Really good job. He was in the nickel, and he sees through a vertical release from the two-strong receiver to feel tunnel screen where the outside receiver is now coming back downhill. And it looked like the play at the catch point looked like Malcolm Butler's interception in the Super Bowl for the Patriots against the Seahawks, where it's that big body collision. Um, just, just couldn't quite get the ball. But I, I'm acknowledging these plays because, you know, for Miami in the second half, they gave up the 15 points. Yeah, sure. Um, I think two of the big plays that, that they were able, Houston was able to hit, they isolated Elaine and Roberts in coverage. And Roberts has, uh, I think, been the best version of himself that we've seen during his time in Miami. But coverage and strength and space, especially when he's walked up outside trying to play man coverage against a tight end running a dig route on the perimeter, it's just not going to be his area of strength, right? And that was the, the, the second touchdown that the Texans scored with the big catch and run after you know, Roberts just couldn't get attached to the body particularly quickly because they were in space on the perimeter. This could have been a lot bigger performance for the Dolphins' defense than what it was. I think that's exciting because you, you think about, you reflect on the score, and it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, they gave up three scoring possessions in the second half, and it's kind of, you kind of leave a little lukewarm by it, but then you actually go back and you watch, and like, they were this, Dolphins' defense was this close to putting another 14 points on the board for the Dolphins. Like, they, they were smotheringly good. You'd expect that to be the case against Houston. Uh, Christian Wilkins is a menace. They're just physically imposing his will over any comer that was lined up on the interior. Uh, I thought he played a great game. I thought Jerome Baker played a phenomenal game as well. Uh, almost had an interception. Had a forced fumble um, on a quarterback hit in a pressure situation that you know almost, again, bounced the Dolphins' way. It did not. Um, but... Strong performances from a lot of key players for the Dolphins defensively. And um, well, I, I'm not understating that this was the best performance of the year for the Dolphins. We have a couple like standout, kind of off-the-beaten-path guys that I want to make sure that I shout out to. But before I do, this episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts that we are sure you are going to love find block forever. Now, wherever you get your podcast block forever is a brand new podcast from former NFL, all pro Ryan Khalil and audible Khalil gives great football conversation and takes it to the next level, giving football fans an insider's look at the game through the eyes of the greatest players and personalities. Khalil sits down with star players, coaches, former pros from across the league to get real about what happens on the field and behind the scenes 
inside locker rooms, during team meetings, and back at the hotel. New episodes of Block Forever will be recorded and released every week ahead of Thursday Night Football. It's available for free on Audible or wherever you get your podcasts. So catch the full Block Forever series available anywhere you get your podcasts. Available everywhere now. Audible, get in the game. Shout out Justin Zimmer. Signed off, I believe, the Bills practice squad. Was active for this game. Played 12 snaps. Looked the part. Uh, big physical. I thought he held up well uh, at the point of attack. A couple opportunities where he kind of lost his footing, regained himself, and, and had a strong presence to make a play uh, in the pile. I thought... Um, Verone McKinley, I know I already mentioned him, but his presence in this game to play high safety reps allowed Javon Holland to move around and put the Dolphins in a position to have Javon Holland be closer to the ball to hopefully start making more plays on the football. Um, Eric Rowe has strung together a really nice stretch of play for the Dolphins since the healthy scratch. Uh, his presence as a tackler uh, even beyond this, the forced fumble that he had that, that Xavier Howard recovered for a touchdown. He's getting in the pile late in the game, the final five minutes, arriving to the pile, trying to punch the ball out, like really high effort level stuff that, that I'm super encouraged by for, for him and what the Dolphins can reap the benefits of for Eric Rowe as he sustains that level play. Play 54 snaps, pretty significant amount of snaps. Uh, 64 or 60 was the total snaps played defensively. I thought Bradley Chubb uh, rushing the passer tested Laramie Tunsil very well. Uh, he, he is just an abnormally large human being. You see him in the pocket, and he's extending on the, the strip sack of Kyle Allen. And the influence in the area, the mass that he takes up is startling. He's just a very large human being. He's, like, he's built like Emmanuel Agba, but he's like a Jalen Phillips-level athlete. And, and Jalen Phillips himself played an excellent game as well. So um, Van Ginkle with the interception. Um, I thought the Dolphins did some things defensively where well, they, they, they weren't afraid to let guys in this game take ambitious assignments. And I don't know if that's like an insult to Houston or if that is a testament to the, the athleticism of the guys on the edge or probably both to some degree, but like they got to some coverage shells and zone coverage uh, from very unique ways. I thought, I thought, you know, that they, they had some exotic stuff out there that they were, were getting guys some reps in. And oh, I, I don't think you necessarily see a ton of high volume of that in any stretch of the dolphin season, but at the very least um, having those as like, critical game down and distance situations down the stretch where you can pop something unique out. Uh, that's a, a tendency breaker versus your usual zone drops. I, I think will be clutch for the dolphins. So a plus performance from the defense. Well, not, not an a plus he, he kind of gave up a couple plays down the street. It's an a performance from the dolphins defense uh, dolphins offense. First half is an a performance. Um, there are some highs and lows that when Tua says we, we just need to continue to strive to get better and clean stuff up, he's not lying. You know, it's not just quarterback speak on, oh, well, you know, we didn't score any points in the second half. 
there's stuff to improve upon. And I think that's the best part and also the scariest part. Because they didn't play a perfect game. There were some missed assignments in the first half, too. And two is still through for 278 in the first half. So, um, great performance. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of the week transitioning to the 49ers. We'll, we'll talk about the 49ers. We have crossover Thursday. We have a fan mailbag. Um, we'll continue to brainstorm ways that I, I think you can uh, try to get through a tough stretch without Teron Armstead assuming that we're not going to see him for a couple of weeks, uh, but it's not a crisis level event. And I think we're just, when you talk about building the game plan for any given week, especially week when you're going up against a Nick Bosa, there's probably just some more considerations that are going to have to be made and, and we'll brainstorm on them as best as we can. And I'm sure that the Dolphins are, are doing that today as well as trying to come up with the best plan. So Kyle Krabs, keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins, your team every day. Fins up. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you guys again tomorrow.